Thanks for tuning into McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this podcast, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. You might hear us referring to a phone number to call as this podcast is taken from a live radio show. Instead of calling the phone number, you can get in touch with us on our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. McNamara on Money is heard on six continents and in more than 50 countries worldwide. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Alyssa. Happy New Year. Good morning. All right. All right. Here we are starting off, starting off the new year here. I think the title of the show is going to be New Year, New Numbers, right? So I don't think toward the end of last year, we generally update everybody on what the new numbers are going to be, right? 2024 is going to bring some new tax rates, some new uh, IRA and Roth limits, 401k limits. There's all kinds of stuff changing. We still have the Secure Act 2.0 playing out, right? That legislation that was passed. I think actually that was passed 2022, right? December. 2022, um, yeah. yeah. Late 2020, and it's playing out over over the next, I think 2026 is the last yeah. scheduled change. So we wanted to go over some of that because some of that is going to kick in this year and some of it is going to be kicked out until next year and the, even the year after. I think that's our plan. Um, I do, I thought maybe might make sense to just do a quick recap. Maybe we can do a market recap in on a, a different show for the year for 2023. I think it's, we are an investment show here sometimes. Maybe, maybe oh, should quick... we talk about the markets once in a while, you think? <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe just quick investment performance for 2023. What do you think? Want to start off there? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Kind of topical. Dad and I touched um, on that last week a little bit, but um, oh, just like at very end of the show, just U.S. market finished very strong. Basically, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you did a you did a New Year's show. It was well when we did the show last week. It was. The 30th, I think, the market had closed for the year. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, in that case, I'll do a, a quick recap. The U.S. market was up. It was actually, I was reading a, 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 an article from Morningstar here. They called it the everything rally, which mm. if you look down uh, the list of the major asset classes, almost everything was positive. Nice change of pace from, from 2022, which was essentially the opposite. So I got the U.S. market as a whole was up 26.43%, mm, nice. which is yeah. a nice rate of return. As usual, the U.S. has continued to win the race against international. The developed markets ex-U.S., which is essentially the, the world's major economies outside of the United States, right? The Western Europe, so the Japan's, the Canada's of the world. We That was up almost 18%, 17.91. Emerging markets positive, not quite as good. That's the China's, the India's, the Brazil's of the world, 11.92%. And bonds were up 5.3%. We'll just use the core bond there are lots and lots of different types of bonds out there, but the core bond index was up 5.31%. Treasury inflation protected securities, 3.68. It was a good year for the markets as a whole. Again, recent trends continuing with the U.S. dominating the rest of the world as far as rates of return goes. We shall yeah. see how long that yeah. lasts. Maybe we've said that each year for the last five years, probably. Eight, but, or um, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. 10. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to update folks on that in case you were curious. But yeah, let's get into our 
Let's get into our. What I don't have while you're looking at that is I heard an interesting thing about we we manage money using mutual funds and ETFs, not individual stocks. But it was just interesting to hear about last year in the U.S. The S and P 500 was up about 26 percent, right? Was that the S and P you just quoted? 26. That was the yeah, that was the total market. But yeah, the the S and P I think is uh, a similar number or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was I think I heard something about the average 500-ish stocks in the S and P 500. The average one was up just what low to mid single digits or something. And then, but that the index was buoyed by what, seven or eight growth uh, tech stocks that had yep. crazy gains last year. So there was a huge disparity in the performance of individual large US stocks last year. And I guess that was not the case for international stocks. Very different, oh, okay. closer returns. I don't know, just interesting. I don't, I, that's not how we manage money and generally don't have pay much attention to that. But I just, it was an unusual year in that regard. Yes, it's it's now called. I actually don't know. There's the list is getting too long now. Yeah. Like, it was the Fangs, and then it was. It's now the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> so and I forget. Well, probably, obviously, it's Google, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Microsoft, yeah. Netflix, maybe. The uh, I think is in okay. there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Amazon, so yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's. I think that is. That's been an ongoing trend, and it's the kind of thing that we expect mean reversion at some point. Which, in other words, the. You, you get a return to normal. I don't, obviously there's no rule that says that has to be the case, but it, mm-hmm. it tends to be that when you see these huge run-ups, you eventually get a pullback. And we thought maybe mm-hmm. that was, we certainly did in 2021, but then, I'm sorry, 2022. And then we returned to the, the, the previous regime where tech stocks were dominating the market and things were relatively good and, mm-hmm. and really good for a few huge corporations that were driving a lot of value through, you know, yeah. through AI. And that's the buzzword of the we'll day. We'll see what happens anyway. with AI regulation, which is like a hot election talk. Topic, right? Oh, is, is that right? I'm, I'm trying to stay away from politics. <laughs> I <laughs> At least I know it's going to be it's going to be forced upon me here in 2024. Yeah. But uh, anyway, all right. So I think maybe let's start with tax rates. I know it's not a super exciting topic, but the way that you know that we do our business and, and especially in the pre-retiree early retiree space uh, what your tax rate is is really important and there are a lot of planning opportunities around where you land uh, on our graduated income tax system here so uh, I thought I would just go maybe just a few key numbers uh, for 2024 and the, I think the most important one the kind of the key number for us is always like the 12 percent to 22 percent tax bracket mm-hmm. right many people would and, fall in those two brackets yet yeah, many Americans yeah, that's a, it's a huge part mm-hmm. of the of the taxpayer system. It's also the biggest jump in the code, right? So the twelve to the twenty, it's obviously right. a ten percent jump. All the other jumps, right? There's a ten to twelve, and then there's a twenty-two to twenty-four. Twenty-four to thirty-two is all is an eight eight point jump as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all the very small incremental jumps, with the exception of the biggest one is that ten percent, twelve to twenty-two. And a lot of folks fall in that range, especially in the retiree space. Hopefully, you're. You know, we hope you're all paying a lot of taxes in your income earning years. But as you retire, you tend to see a drop in tax rate. So the end of the 12% bracket this year, if you're single, is 47,150. And it's 94,300 for married filing jointly. Yeah, and important to note that's taxable income. So that would be after a standard deduction, which did you write down the number for standard deduction this year? I sure, I sure did. Yeah. So it's, and it's, it, it, these numbers are getting huge. So yeah. single is 14,600. And then married filing jointly is 29200 and head of household $21,900. Additional amounts for seniors, 50 
A married senior is fifteen fifty, an unmarried senior is nineteen fifty. We, you're talking about thirty thousand range. Yeah. If you are uh, as, as a standard deduction, which is a very large number. So now I don't. I should have done this before the hand, but if your income is in the hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar range for if you're married filing jointly, that's about the top of the twelve percent federal yeah. income tax bracket. Yeah. So that's a, and it's a fairly large number, and then. Obviously, if you are on Social Security, but Social Security is only partially taxable and how much of it is taxable depends on your own particular income tax rate. But I, I think that's a, probably a key number for you. And I know we spend a lot of time trying to project where clients are going to be and see if there are opportunities around those tax rates. This will be, and, and again, important to note that this is for 2024 taxable income. So as people are do, going to do their taxes in the next few months, it'll be last year's brackets, which were just a bit lower. The ranges were a little bit lower. And this is another yeah, think- thing that will be interesting to see how it plays out. Another hot election topic, I think, will be taxes, tax brackets and tax legislation because this the current tax code is set to what they call sunset or go away at the end of 2025 tax year so effective 2026 the old tax brackets the 10 15 25 28 i think and then 33 maybe those tax brackets are set were set to revert back to that tax code in 2026 unless there's further legislation to extend the current tax rate i think that will be something to watch during the election as well and see what the new legislation what the new administration does in 2025 if anything yeah yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and yeah, tax tax legislation is always. I guess it's always yeah. an election topic, probably. It's always, yeah, <laughs> always yeah. an election topic. Yeah, and, and, and again, we are. I don't actually know. It's such an individualized scenario because the 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 rates are different, but also the ranges were different too. So it's it gets. Yeah. It, it's not oh the twelve goes to fifteen, but it but all the limits stay the same. Right now, it's the twelve goes to fifteen, and there's a completely different set of ranges for each one of those for each one of those brackets. It's it gets very comp. And it's it's gonna be very all the planning is very individualized, right? It's hard to generalize about oh hey if you're in this situation this is what you should do. Yeah, you really have to look at your own brackets. And again, that gets difficult because you're two years out, you're inflate, you're you're using inflation, and so it's it's definitely a hard one. Taxes a lot of times the year to year bit of it, which is what we you know what we do a lot of, isn't as difficult. I was heartened by the the inflation jump. I the last year's. 22% tax bracket for married filing jointly was $89,000. So the, the rates are up a bit this year. And I know uh, okay. uh, yeah. inflation has, has has subsided here and hopefully it's it continues to. But So there's definitely a little bit more room inside of that tax bracket to, spe- to spend on things like Roth conversion, early distributions, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's certainly some planning opportunity and I think we get a little bit more relief and, and a little bit more space to play that game a little bit. Should we spend time yeah. going over that or no? Yeah, uh, I would maybe if we have time at the end. I feel like we have a lot okay. of numbers to get through, yeah. Okay, all right. It's a standard deduction we went over already. Again, yeah, so 29,200 married filing joint. That's a pretty good deduction. Yeah. All right, let's go into new contribution limits. Yeah. So here we are in 2024. For those of you uh, who have a 401k plan or a 403b plan uh, or a 457, the new limit is $23,000 if you are under age 50 and it is $30,500 if you are over age 50. 
So that's up so. just 500 bucks from last year. Just $500. Yeah. yeah, that's not a huge change, right? Total was, if you're over 50, was 30000 last year. Now it's 30500 Certainly worth updating it if you have the cash flow. And so just keep that in mind. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, I guess we'll run through the other ones quickly. They're less and less common. IRA, yeah. obviously, we do have up to $7,000 this year. So under age 50, $7,000. The catch-up remains at one that remains at 1000 so unchanged so if you're over 50 8000 if you're under 57000 dollars obviously IRA and Roth are together on that one 7000 okay. okay cool i hadn't actually seen this one so that's good to know okay 7000 uh-huh. okay and then the, the total contribution limit for a SEP IRA it's 69000 and that's like kind of the that's the total contribution limit if you're doing a 401k and with a with an employer match profit sharing contribution. So 69,000 is the big number that you can get into if you have, if you're, if you're self-employed and, or you're able to, you're in a 401k with a very strong profit sharing. Okay. HSA, more and more common now, health savings accounts. Very common. Yep. Very common. Yeah, I think I, I feel like when we got ours, it was a fairly uncommon, but now I see almost, I feel like half the people that I yep. see now have them. Yep. So contribution limit for single, 4150 and 8300 for for a family. Okay. And that is, yeah, that's the end of that list. Okay. Can we spend yep. some time on some of these things? I think we should yep. talk about, I want to actually talk about HSAs, but also 401k, 403b plans and people like paying attention to their rate of contribution, which is important in general, but also yep. have the conversation regarding, is it, some people spread their contributions out over a full 12 months or 26 pay periods. And some people try to accelerate contributions and contribute earlier in the year and then have a larger pay net paycheck at the end of the year. So I just wanted to get into some of that unless you think we have time for that. Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's touch on, it's easier to have the conversation regarding 401ks just because of the nature of payroll deduction versus like sometimes people that contribute to IRAs and Roth, it's not always monthly. It's a smaller amount of money. It could be like once a year at tax time, stuff like that. But, but everyone contributing to a 401k or 403b or 457, which is the smart right? That's the smart plan in Massachusetts, right? Um, If you're a state employee, sorry, that's right. Obviously those people are contributing out of salary deferrals. So they're electing a percentage of each paycheck to be directed toward that retirement savings vehicle. First of all, important to pay attention to your contribution in general. And I'm always surprised at how many people I chat with for the first time have have no idea how much they're contributing, right? You set that yeah. percentage maybe years and years ago and maybe just never reevaluated it. Here we are, beginning of the year, good time to take a look at what you're contributing to, what rate, what percentage of your paycheck you're contributing to a 401k or 403b and also translate that to dollars, right? Percentage is one thing, but you should probably know the dollars that are going to that account. I think all the, it seems like all the major payroll companies are requiring a percentage, but obviously we don't, we only work with one payroll company, so it's hard for us to know, but I think almost everyone I talk to has a percentage-based 401k contribution. Is that the case with you as well? Yes. Which makes it complicated. I just meant, I meant translate. It's easy oh, yeah, to figure yeah. out what percentage it is and then do the math of what's your gross pay and, and multiply, do the, do the math because it's not really done for you unless you look at a pay stub. So there's a couple ways to do that. So if you're using, a, if your employer uses a payroll system like a paychex or similar, you would log in there and there's a section where you can view your retirement account and yep. you can look at the, you, I think you, we use, we happen to use paychecks as well. It's just why I'm more familiar with it, but I'm sure there are all these uh, payroll companies have something similar where you 
would click on contributions and then right there you would be able to set what percentage comes out of your paycheck. Easy to, should be pretty easy through a payroll system to log in and look at the percentage. But so number one, take a look at that and write it and we can't get what's the ideal rate of contribution, right? That can be different for everybody. Are, how old are you? How much have you saved already? What are your goals? All that stuff, right? But just in general, if you're starting out young, hopefully it's 10%, 12%, 15%, something in that range. If you're older and you haven't saved a whole lot in place, need to play some catch up, hopefully it's higher than that. Um, yep. But take a look at what, and obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, I shouldn't say that, but also know what your employer is matching, if anything, and make sure that you're at least contributing enough to get the full employer match. So you're not giving up free matching contributions from your employer, if applicable. Not all employers match, but many. And so I think important to, to do the math, right? So if you log into your payroll and you, it looks like you're putting in 8%, what's your gross pay over the course of the year and how much is that's being directed to your account? So people should know that. And like you just went over limits for 2024, if you're third, sorry, under age 50, $23,000 and $30,500 if you're 50 or older this year. So by the way, I'm pretty sure, like, what if someone is 49 now, but turning 50 mid-year? They can still, they can contribute the full 30500 this year, right? They could set the contribution level now to hit that target. That's right. It's, it's not, like the yes, year it's, in it's which. It's not like an IRA yeah. distribution. It's it's right. a uh, it's the year that you in which you turn it. You don't have to change on your birthday and say, oh, now my annualized can go up to, to 30500 I always get confused about that because when you're taking money out, you have to actually wait till you're 59 and a half. Yeah. It's not the <laughs> yep. year in which. It's you have to actually. <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. yeah, sometimes I forget which way it is, but uh, so yeah. So, and another way to find out how much you're putting into your 401k or 403b is just grab a recent pay stub, like grab, grab your, and on the pay stub, it should, it will have the dollars that yeah. are directed. So if you look at your pay stub, make sure you know how frequently you're paid. Some people are paid twice a month. Some people are paid every two weeks, which is 26 paychecks a month, not 24. If it's twice a month, take a look at what was withheld for a paycheck. Or some people are paid every week. I think that's pretty rare, but. Take a look at what was withheld, multiply by generally 24 or 26 paychecks, and that's how much went in. And then I guess you would you could do the math to figure out the percentage that way. But just important for people to know that. And we just have a couple minutes before the break, but I also just wanted to talk about whether it makes sense, and we can approach this from a couple different angles, but whether it makes sense to... If you're trying to max a 401k, for example, at maybe you're 45 and trying to put the full 22, sorry, 23,000 in this year, does it make sense to spread it evenly across all 26 paychecks, for example, or does it make sense to try to accelerate and get more money in earlier in the year? And then, and you would max out earlier in the year and then your pay, your net paycheck would be bigger end of year. Christmas so, bills, yeah, then you have yeah. more money at the end. So my general take on that, I generally do think that's a good thing. If people can make that work from a cash flow perspective, if they have maybe like room, right, they're not spending. It's If your cash flow break even and like you need every dollar that comes in, you might not be able to do that because your paycheck toward the beginning of the year would be lower. But if you have cushion in checking or if you have enough room in your income versus expenses that you can do it, I generally think it's a good thing to, to max out earlier in the year. Yeah, you've got 
that little bonus for yourself end of year where your net paycheck is bigger. But also in most years, the markets are higher end of year than they were beginning of the year. So from an investment perspective, it generally makes sense to get more money in and then get growth on that money over a slightly longer period of time in most years, not all years, right? If the market tanks at the end of the year, that wasn't a great thing. That wasn't a great idea, but that's, (laughs) it's more common for markets to be like, positive and pretty good and higher end of year versus beginnings. If you want it, maybe if you could hold your comments on that until after the break, because I think we have to take a break. Oh, sorry. We have one minute. Do you have anything to add to that? I know Tim's given me the flashing fingers. I, I have, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe might be better for after the break, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I've not seen the research done on that. I, I do think it's maybe an interesting thing to, for someone to look at, because mm-hmm. if you think of like when, when most of the bear markets are, like a lot of them tend to hit at the, at the very end of the year too. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. the math year to year should say earlier is almost always better if you yeah. average it over enough years and I'm sure you're probably right about that I would I'd be interested to see how like the propensity of uh, bear markets to show up right at the end of the year would would impact those numbers but it's probably not something that anyone's going to spend a lot of time on but anyways yeah. All right, we're, we're definitely up on yep. a break here we'll be right back when it comes to securing your financial future trust matters that's why McNamara Financial a family owned company is here for you As a family-owned company, we understand the importance of your financial well-being. That's why our team of expert financial advisors is committed to your success. At McNamara Financial, we take your trust seriously. That's why all our financial advisors are fiduciaries and certified financial planners, putting your best interests first. With our team of dedicated professionals, you can rest assured that you're receiving top-notch expertise tailored to your unique goals. Don't leave your financial future to chance. Trust McNamara Financial, where family values meet financial expertise. Visit our website or call us to schedule a consultation today. McNamara Financial, securing your financial future one step at a time. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed this morning. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Uh, And we are talking new numbers for 2024. Nice. Happy uh, New Year. Good morning again. Yeah. All right. So let's, yeah, I don't know if I, let's, I guess it's just put a bow on when you put those contributions. And again, this is very specific to folks who are able to max out mm-hmm. their 401ks and have the cash flow to do it on a monthly basis and then some. Mm-hmm. So I understand we may be talking to a small subset mm-hmm. of people, but yeah, I think we're both in agreement that if you can max it out earlier, probably better. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's also... It also helps because there's just a variability. Some people's salary has variability to it, right? Yeah. And we have this, one of the reasons that you want to check your 401k year to year is because you have, everything is changing, right? So your 401k limits are changing for the year. You may also have a salary change, mm-hmm. right? You know, your bonus structure could be different. And uh, it's just the kind of thing you want to review. Um, we certainly will meet folks out there who aren't really on top of exactly what their contribution was. And maybe, you know, maybe they said it five years ago and maybe that works just fine because their salaries are up substantially and they're increasing the, their 401k contributions at a good rate, uh, but maybe not too. So make so, sure you check into what you're contributing. Yeah. And some 401k providers will allow that option where you're, percentage that you're contributing can increase as year over year, right? I want to say... I want to say I've seen that on the Fidelity website or something where you can elect to increase this by 1% every year or something like that, some incremental step up in 
So it wouldn't just be the dollars, it would be the percentage that comes out of your pay, which I think is really cool because you wouldn't even, yeah. like you just said, your pay is often is adjusting beginning of the year anyway. And a small step up of half a percent or percent, you might not really notice anyway. And it's just a good yeah. way to force yourself into that slowly work my contribution higher because it's really hard to go in there and do it manually. Even I was going, I went in a week or two ago and was trying to update because I was thinking about this for myself. Last year, my contributions were spread over the year and this year I was like, oh, maybe like I'll try to accelerate it and get more in early. And it's, it, I even had a hard time being like, oh, then calculating my net paycheck and you can get, oh, and I don't want to see that money not be in my paycheck. And it's hard to go in there and do it manually and give up that money. It's still for you and obviously Obviously, going yeah. for a good to, to a good place in our opinion, anyway. But yeah, it can be hard to do. So those incremental, just set it and forget it type thing, but grow my contribution over time in terms of the percentage. That's a great tool, and probably there's a lot of 401k providers that will offer that. So it's yeah. a good thing to look into. And that's part of a lot of the auto enrollment 401ks can, I think they're going to, they're going to have mandatory auto enrollment as part of Secure Act. It's not this year. I think that's one of the 2025 provisions okay. where you have to opt out of a 401k as opposed to opt in. Uh, oh, and so I see. I'll, a lot of those escalators are built into that as well because they don't you don't start someone generally speaking at fifteen percent. They right. usually start lower. Like three percent oh, or something. You're auto enrolled yeah. at three, and yeah. then you go up a you go up a percentage point every year. And again, that that will help a lot of folks. We'd prefer if you were more intentional about it and didn't just start with the three. It's maybe three's about as high as you can go. But if you could do five as opposed to three, that's certainly better as well. So yeah, there, uh, there's a lot more coming down the line on that. Trying to get four hundred one k's to work for more people because they're certainly taken advantage of by folks like our clients, but they're not as, they're not as widely used for, for other folks that may be lower on the income spectrum. So that's why they're pushing auto enrollment coming down the line. Yeah, so. that's good. I think that's a good, I think that's a good change. As much yeah. as I complain about legislation changes in our business often, <laughs> some of the <laughs> changes that I think have been made to 401ks over the years are, are have been good. That one included and I don't yeah. know. We've talked about it on the show before about how like default investment in a 401k used to just be cash. Yeah. Right? And now oh, it's you remember a remember that? And now it's a target fund, which is amazing because <laughs> people would be in cash for eight years and have no idea because yep. just for lack of information and for lack of knowledge regarding what to do. Yeah. So anyway, another example of a good change. Yeah, I remember setting up ours originally and I was yeah, and I remember cash being, this was probably, what, 2007 was when we had the first McNamara Financial Official 401k. Okay. And it was, yeah, the, the options were like cash or a balanced fund. And I was like, we're going to do a balanced fund. Yeah. None of our employees will, will go without investment advice, but right, yeah, it, was, right. it, was, it was always very surprising. But yeah, you're in, we're in much better shape now. As long as we can remember all the rule changes, Alyssa, they'll be, we'll be good. So, all right. Let's touch on, I guess you want to do HSA touch maybe? Touch on HSAs, Yeah. So health savings account, for those of you that have a high deductible health plan, I actually don't off the top of my head know what quali- what there are limits that your health plan has to hit in terms of what are the deductibles for a single and for a family in order to be eligible to have an HSA to complement that health high deductible health plan. I want to say it's, you can probably find it quickly I'll look, I'll look it up. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, yeah, it's like somewhere around, it was like three grand and six grand or yeah, something. And I think that's being inflated something now. Something like I'll, that. I'll check it. I'll right. check it out. So for those of you that have what technically are considered high deductible health plans, which are be- have become more and more popular and I would assume 
will become more and more popular. Basically, the you know more of the expense at the beginning falls to the participant, to the employee, to the person receiving the care, versus yeah. going right to the insurance company right away. So it, it does. You know, I understand why they have become more popular. Of course, premiums are lower for employers who are picking up often a large percentage of the premium payments for these plans. And healthcare, of course, we know costs have risen substantially over time. But also, it does make the employee, the participant, the person receiving the care, think twice about what they're going, what what they're going to receive for healthcare, right? Do they need this, that, and the other test? Because they're paying for that themselves. So they're really thinking more about, do I really need this? And do I value it versus... With with no deductible or low deductible, just people were just you could just get any test or whatever, and, and right. insurance would pay for it. So you I get do want the two thousand dollar MRI or the five hundred dollar yeah, MRI doesn't I, matter. To you. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I understand it. I get it. I'm sure it angers a lot of people, but I, I get it. And so when you have that, you can have a when you have a high deductible health plan, you can have a health savings account to complement it. So basically, you put money tax efficiently, tax deductibly in an HSA with within the limits that we quoted a moment ago, which for 2024 are $4,150 for a single and $8,300 for a family. So those yep. are the contribution limits. You get a tax deduction on dollars that go in and you can you get like a credit card with an HSA or you can pay online and stuff and you can pay healthcare expenses with that money with, with no taxes due on any payments, right? So money comes out, money goes into the HSA tax deductible. So saves you some taxes to put money in there. You can pay healthcare expenses now or later. Dollars just roll to the future and what you take out to use for health care payments, no taxes on that. And actually, I don't know if we want to get really into this, but I'll just throw it out there that if dollars in your HSA get somewhat large, you can actually invest and you don't need them right away. Like you can actually invest some of the dollars within an HSA and the investment growth is no taxes either. And then yeah. these dollars can roll and be just roll forward. They don't expire. They You can just use them in your future for healthcare related expenses, no taxes. So it's a great, it's the trifecta of tax benefits, right? It's the, and it's the only, it's the greatest, it's the greatest <laughs> account from a tax perspective that exists. There is not another one that exists. The Roth IRA, as much as I love it, you don't get a tax deduction to put money in. Tax, change the HSA to your favor. I so know. <laughs> All right. How much more time we have? We have 19 minutes. I can keep going on HSAs. Uh, um, no, just real quick. The high deductible limit, the deductible limits are, are fairly low. I was like, I'm surprised to see what these are. It's only $1,600 for self only and $3,200 uh, oh. for a family. I'm going to guess that most of those plans have much higher deductibles. I know ours does. We never hit our deductible down. ever. Oh my God. Never. never. <laughs> but yeah, so that's th- those are the limits. And if you have that available to you, again, just know how you're going to use it, right? So the planning for an HSA is different. I think depending on your income level, right? So if you're higher income, if you have discretionary cash flow, if you're maxing out your 401k and you have extra money, maybe you're putting it into a taxable account and investing over and above your retirement plans and you have an HSA available, it's a, the planning idea is to definitely take full advantage of the HSA, put as much money as you can there and then don't spend it, invest it and don't spend it and use your cash flow to pay your medical expenses because you're getting right in, in that example, you're probably higher tax bracket. 
And if you can get a deduction and then tax-free growth for until your later years with no RMDs, yep. it's a wonderful planning tool. If you are yep. middle income and you actually need the money and take advantage of it, then you probably aren't in the investment camp, at least right. not until you get a substantial balance in your in your HSA. Right. There's not, I think it's a, I think ours has a $2,000, you can invest anything right. over $2,000. That's not, right. if your deductible is like $6,000 for the family for the year, that's probably not, that's maybe not enough. Be smart so about wanna, be smart yeah, about be, it. Just yeah. be smart about it. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if your deductible is, is six grand a year, maybe set your cash limit. Oh, I won't, I always want to have at least $6,000 right. and then I'll invest. If I'm lucky enough to not have any health expenses that, that drag that down, I'll invest when I hit that six grand. Yeah. So. And I believe it's age 65 where you can take money out of an HSA if there's any left in there tax for you for any expense. There's an age at which you hit. So dollars can come out of an HSA at any age for health care expenses, no taxes. But I believe it's age 65 or older. If there's funds left in the HSA, you can take it out for anything tax free. So it is like the, I'm pretty comfortable saying that if you have an HSA and if at all possible, max it. It is yep. the greatest, from a tax perspective, the greatest account that exists. And if you can max it and le- the limits are lower, much lower than like a 401k, for example, and even lower than IRA contributions for a single person. Okay. So again, HSA's $4,150 max contribution if you're a single, $8,300 max contribution if you have a family plan. Okay. Yeah. It, yep. it looks like the 20% penalty for taking money out of an HSA for non medical expenses goes away at age 65. Yeah, okay, yeah. But that's not the same as a tax-free distribution for anything. I think you still have to use uh, it for health care. Yep, okay, okay, thank you for that um, clarification. Okay. But yeah. But it's I just mean, not it's a penalty. Still great, okay. still great. Yeah. Okay, use it for health care then. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It shouldn't be a problem. Especially as you as you yeah. age, right? Yeah. When you hit 65, 70, 75, 80, your health care expenses tend to go up anyways. And hey, if you can do that, fund that tax-free, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Should we move on from anything else on limitations or you want to move on here? Oh, gosh, we only got 15 minutes left. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about? Do we want to get into IRAs and Roths or do you want to talk about... So Let's talk about some of the secure 2.0 changes that are being implemented this year, which is like RothSEP and Roth Simple, correct? Correct. If they're... If available. Yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, in Secure 2.0, there's stuff that's still playing out, right? So Secure 2.0 is just like the legislators... Yeah threw a bunch of stuff at the IRS, essentially. Yeah. And so some of it was easily enough done. And there are some other things that are that were not done all that easily. Yeah, let's jump into that one. I think Simple Roth and Simple SEP, I'm sorry, Roth Roth. Simple. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, a simple IRA is like a a stripped down version of a 401k. If you have less than 100 employees, you can open up a simple IRA. There's fewer reporting requirements. It's It's cheaper to administer. And that's what a simple IRA is, a SEP IRA, similar for a self-employed person, right? Different limitations, but we won't get into that now. According to Secure 2.0, as of 2023, that was available. So you could do a Roth SEP, Roth Simple. The reason that we didn't do any, Alyssa, is because... None of the the, companies can take a contribution. (laughs) They're like, nope, we're not ready. Sorry. There's the back end end of it. It's definitely complicated. I think the way it's going to... It's probably going to play out where you'll have to have multiple accounts, right? There's no way that the Charles Schwab's, the Fidelities of the world want to be doing accounting in a single in a single account with right. multiple sources, right? They don't want right. to have one account that says, oh, this money's deferred and this money is Roth because it's that's just, it's complicated and difficult, right? There's, there's a reason yeah. why you 
there's a cost for a 401k, whereas there's essentially no cost to have a brokerage account, right? There's, right. You, you basically, you pay next to nothing for a brokerage account, whereas in a 401k plan, there's a lot of accounting that goes in on the back end. And, oh yeah, this is a rollover contribution. This is a matching. They keep track of all the sources. It's just not all that easily done. And so probably what's going to happen is you're going to have multiple accounts, right? So if you're yeah. having a, if you have a Roth, if you have a Roth simple and you do both contributions, you'll have two separate accounts. I'm going to guess. I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah. Because when we heard about it, we, we manage a, you know, a fair amount of small business retirement plans. And we were excited about the Roth simple IRA because there's a lot of folks who would want to take advantage of that. Yeah. But so far to this point, we haven't seen anything on it being available. Maybe that's just Logistically our- Logistically available. Yeah, it's legally available. It's just you, you have to be able to handle the administration side of it. And there's no requirement on the big brokerages that they do it. It's not, it's frankly, probably not a huge business. I'm going to guess simple IRAs much smaller than 401k as a business. This, I feel like us financial planners who are working with small business owners will, uh, will do them fairly often. But as far as the total assets invested from a retirement point of view, I'm going to guess symbols and steps are a very small uh, oh, piece of the pie. Absolutely. Versus 401ks, for example. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and rollovers probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it was exciting when it came out because the previously the only way to get to make Roth contributions were if it was available to you in a 401k, not only did you have to have a 401k, but you had, it had to be available in your 401k, which right. was an employer right. decision. Yeah. And you had no, nothing to say about it if you were not the employer. So not everyone even had that option in a 401k and you had to have a 401k available or you had to be eligible for a Roth IRA, or we could talk about backdoor Roths, but it, that, those aren't appropriate yeah. for everyone. But there were people that just wanted to get money in Roth and couldn't. So now there's more opportunities for people to get to make Roth type contributions, people that work for small businesses, self-employed people, et cetera. So it's, yeah, it's great. And I remember being really frustrated at the end of last year that we couldn't get money in there for some people, but hopefully this is the year. Some of the companies that we work with have said <laughs> by the end of this year, um, of, of 2024, I don't know if they're going to be ready by spring, which would be great because then people could make retroactive like yeah. SEP contributions for 2022. Three, for example, I don't know about that. I think I was told by one or two providers that we work with more more like fall of 2024, the pieces would be in place to make okay. those contributions. So hopefully for this tax year anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's great. It, it does, it levels the playing field a bit specific to, to simple anyway. SEPs has some fairly high limits. For mm -hmm. simple, the actual limitations, and actually I think we skipped over the simple limits. We, we, we shortchanged them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the simple IRA limit is, I don't have it written down here, but it's off the top of my head. It's 16000 Okay. for this year with a $3,500 catch up. So the, the total, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that it's 19500 for the year if you're over 50 which is substantially less than the 401k, yeah. right? It's the 401k new total is is 30,500, but mm -hmm. if you can if you could Roth it, you even out like the after-tax contribution amount, right? Because uh -huh. a a $19,500 IRA contribution is not the same, right? Is not the same as a Roth because you're effectively putting more money in because you put in after-tax right. dollars and in 195 that goes into a, a traditional IRA is actually the real value of it you have to pull out the the tax, the tax money, right? Tax burden, whatever right. that's going to be, right. right? And so I, it was, we were excited for it and still excited for it, crossing our fingers that it's going to show up. Uh, and that legislation doesn't change before 
the like, pieces are in place. <laughs> yeah, this, where like, we could yeah, we'll the 2020 strip them away. Gets, gets rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What no, other uh, secure 2.0 changes are being implemented this year? Did you look at that, Ross? We should Ross certainly said. the five the 529 plan. Oh, yes. Okay. That's a, that's a, yes. That's a great one. Huge. Uh, one. It yep. is live. I did check American funds, which just happens to be the 529 with, that we're that we work with most often. Not necessarily. I guess we endorse them, but this is not necessarily an endorsement of them. But I was on their website. They do have yeah. a form that is live that yeah. will allow you now to change to move money from a 529 plan into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary. Right. So this is essentially just hey, what do we do with unused 529? money. Mm-hmm. I saved this money. My Either my kiddo didn't go to school or I saved so much that I had extra. Yep. Uh, whatever the situation may be, that in the old days, that money would just, you could leave it in the 529 for a long time, but eventually if it wasn't used for those qualified expenses, you would have to pay income taxes and a 10% penalty on that distribution amount. However, now you have a, a 529 to Roth rollover you there are a few stipulations here do you have them all i have yeah american funds put out a piece so this is yeah. first of all this is totally new for those listeners before we were never able to right. roll money from a 529 to a Roth for the beneficiary tax-free. This is completely new and awesome. Not a lot of people that have this great problem of, oh, I have too much money in my 529 <laughs> and my kid is through college. This doesn't affect yeah. a whole lot of people. I was doing it in my head. I think there's, I think I maybe have two or, two <laughs> yeah, or three. Which it'll is be not a, rare. It's a small subset, yeah. but you know what? But for those folks, it's going to be, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be great, right? Maybe somebody planned for a private education, but the, their student went public or maybe their student decided college wasn't for them. And anyway, but yeah, American Funds put out a piece regarding the changes that Secure Act 2.0 made for unused balances in a 529 to roll to a Roth IRA for the underlying beneficiary. There, it's, there, there, are, certain, there are certainly restrictions regarding it. First of all, right. the lifetime amount that can, be, that can move from a 529 to a Roth IRA for the beneficiary is $35,000. So right. can't ever move more than that. And I don't, th- is that not indexed? I don't know that it is either. Oh, I don't know. Pro- probably not. Well, I would that's, guess that's not. That's for down the line. Yep. Okay. And I'm pretty sure. So other restrictions are the 529 of that beneficiary has to have been in existence for 15 years. Right. So you, this is for people that were actually really saving for college and then there was just money left over. It's not like you can throw money in and a few years later put a bunch into a Roth for the student. So it's right. really meant to be like leftover unused education funds. Pretty uh, sorry. Sh- quick, you know what? Uh, I don't know. You know what? Maybe let's just do a quick planning point on that. Yeah. If you, we, and, I, and I'm sure you've had this discussion. Oh, I'm going to, I have two kids, but I'm just going to open up one 529 and I'll use that. Right, that so that's, yeah. like, we generally recommend I think you do as well a 529 for each kid make is, is a maybe simplifies things just a bit yeah but I think this is another reason to do 529 per kid because I don't know if they've come out with if you're doing the multiple beneficiary thing I don't know if it's solid that you cannot do it if you were just using one 529 the so IRS I- hasn't clarified that so I actually had an example of a, a few years ago prior to this legislation yeah. a client that had unused 529 money for their kid that graduated and yep. the, the 529 was in existence for a very long time could have been close to 15 years rolled to their 
high school students 529 to use yep. all that money for that student. And then this legislation came out and I was like, oh crap, can we roll yeah. it back and will they be eligible and all that? So the IRS has not clarified that. So right. we're still waiting yeah. on that. But yeah, probably, it, I don't know how strict that's going to be. There's some other limitations too. Like you can't just, you're not just going to be able to put $35,000 in one year into a Roth for the kid. You have to abide, believe you're going to have to abide by the annual Roth contribution limits. So you're only going to be able to get, like, for example, this year, $7,000 into the Roth. And I actually, and I think, does the student have to, does the former have student have, have to have the income to justify right. the contribution? And also they can't contribute to the Roth themselves. So you can't like double the contribution. So it's there, there it, there's going to be certain limitations and the money would probably go in slowly for that, for that child. But still it's out there as an option for unused $529 and the IRS is still clarifying some of the fine points there. Yeah. Just yeah. Quick and quick clarification. The so you are subject to. I think like you're subject to the income limits at the lower end, right? So you can't put more than seven thousand dollars in on the assumption that this beneficiary is under age fifty, which is probably the case. And you have to have earned income in order to make it. But there is yeah. no upper income limitation, right? So we, I think right. we skipped. I skipped oh, over that on my on my thing. I'll just maybe jump back to it. So for twenty twenty four. Married filing jointly, uh, the Roth is phased out at two hundred and forty thousand dollars in right. modified adjusted gross income. Right, right, uh, and for single, it's, it's phased out at, at one hundred and fifty-three. But that, I, I, I'm pretty sure that does not apply to this Roth. So even if you're okay. just out of school and uh, you hit Wall Street and you're making a few hundred grand right away, you still can do this conversion five twenty-nine to Roth, which is pretty nice cool. because you can't, you couldn't otherwise do it. There's also one point here in the fine print from American Funds. Help me understand this, Justin. It says, the rollover amount cannot exceed the aggregate amount contributed to the program, including earnings, before the five-year period on ending on the date of the rollover. The rollover amount cannot exceed the aggregate amount contributed plus earnings before the five-year period ending on the date of the rollover. So I, I actually okay. think it's going to be really hard to actually get thirty five thousand in there, but we'll say. Okay, I'll have to read that. Uh, I had not read that one. Yeah. But if it's a if it's a fifteen year old a plan doesn't, I think that aggregate amount contributed would mean the contributions said, plus earnings before the five year period ending on the date of the so in the in the immediate prior five years. What were the contributions and earnings? And that's going to be, I think, oh, you're so limited you to that. You can't back. You can't back end load it. You can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to open up my two thousand dollar five twenty nine fifteen years ago, and then I'm going to stuff a bunch of money in here uh, right at the very yeah. end." Maybe yeah. that's probably what it's for. Yeah, it's yeah. probably for. They're, they're trying to make they're sure they're trying it's really to make for sure folk. that we're really trying to <laughs> yeah. save for education and not just like trying to take advantage of this. And yeah, they're trying to close any loopholes before their loopholes. Yeah. We got to go. Oh, they're, man, they're we're right up against it. Uh, hey, thank you for listening. This has been McNamara on Money. Check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com, McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com, and you can find our podcast, McNamara on Money, on your favorite podcatcher. That about it? We good? That's about it, and thanks for listening. Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother, Justin McNamara, this morning. That was good stuff. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy right. New Year. Bye. Bye. You can find McNamara on Money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode. Okay.